Welcome to Holmfield's Baptist Church this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Ephesians chapter 3. So let's just begin reading right there in verse number 1. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, rather, verse number 1, For this cause I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Verse 5 says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mercy of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Christ Jesus, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this passage here. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the recording of this prayer in your word. Lord, help us to learn from this. Help us, help, uh, help us to open our hearts and minds to you this morning and, and use us in a way, Lord, again, like never before. Help us to see these truths and apply them to our life, Lord, the fullness of God. Lord, that we can have that fullness. Lord, let us walk away with that fullness and let us do our part in, the, in receiving this fullness. Lord, we're thankful again for the cross. We thank you for you. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So again, as I've been preaching through this epistle, um, this letter from Paul to the Ephesian church, I, I, I truly hope it's been a blessing to you. Uh, it's been an encouragement to you. It's certainly uh, been an encouragement to me to, to take a deep dive into this book. Uh, but if you have decided to join us in our scripture immersion, as we mentioned earlier, you know, the, the deep dive into Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, specifically in Ephesians, you have no doubt also learned that it is inexhaustible. It is simply inexhaustible. I mean, it is the Word of God. It's truly inexhaustible. And the riches of His glory are truly incomprehensible. They truly are. I was looking through you know, just chapter 1, those, those verses 3 to 14, one, one in the English language, we would call it 1 
giant run-on sentence, but all the greatness and the riches found in Christ, if we were to deep dive into one of those, it would take us an eternity just uh, to figure out the depth of it. It is the word of God and exhaustible. As Paul put it in verse 8 there in chapter 3, he said, the riches of Christ are unsearchable. Unsearchable. We cannot find the depths of his grace, of his riches toward us. But in this passage... In this chapter three here, especially the latter part of this chapter, where we'll be focusing on this morning. We see a remarkable pattern to follow, a remarkable pattern that follows that yields nothing short of the church bringing glory unto God. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says unto him be glory in the church. That's this morning. That's you and, you and uh, I this morning. You and me. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. We want to give Him glory this morning. Yes? That's why we're here. We want to worship Him. Amen. But this glory to God in the church is best given, maybe even only given, by Christians who are filled with the fullness of God. Notice the end of verse 19. It states that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Friends, I got got to be honest. I would always want to be filled with the fullness of God, with all the fullness of God. So the things preceding this statement there in verse 19 lead up to us being filled with the fullness of God. This was Paul's prayer for us. This is actually Paul's second prayer, and they both are similar in their outcomes, but they, and they both conclude with us being filled with the fullness of God. So our end state this morning, and even in our life, our goal is to be filled with all the fullness of God so that we as a church can rightly glorify God. Remember, we can't glorify God on our own. There's nothing good in us. We need Jesus Christ. He's worthy. He's the only one worthy. You know, speaking of Jesus, Paul wrote in Colossians 2.9, he states that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. And ye are, are complete in him. We are complete in Christ. And our passage here in, in Ephesians kind of gives us the ingredients of how to be fulfilled, how to be full in, in God, the fullness of God, in a progressive pattern, and in, in steps, if you will, how that we can be filled. And with that said, I want to just share with you this morning that the title of this message is pretty simple, The Fullness of God. I want to point out again that we cannot uncover the depths of God's riches in 40 minutes. It's not going to happen this morning. Again, they're unsearchable. But there are some things we can pull from the text. There are some truths that we can extrapolate that are applicable to every believer. And the first of those, I want you to to take note of verse number 12. We've already read this entire chapter. Paul is talking about this mystery that's been revealed. And one of those mysteries he kind of keys in on, one of those riches, if you will, how to get the fullness of God. He he keys on in there in verse 12 where, where he wrote that we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. We have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of Him. Now, what's he talking about here? How do we have boldness in Christ? What kind of access is he, is he speaking of here? What did the Holy Spirit have in mind when He inspired Paul to write these words? How do we access the throne of God? Prayer, right? So it's no, it's no, no surprise here and no deep new thing. There's nothing new under the sun anyway, but prayer. 
The fullness of God for the Christian begins with prayer. Now, you're probably thinking, well, of course, prayer. We, sh we should all pray. And I think that for every Christian, pastors included, missionaries included, every person, no matter how close we get to God, we underestimate the importance of prayer. Prayer is a very significant thing. The, the late Dr. Jerry Falwell used to say, nothing of eternal significance happens apart from prayer. We need to be prayed, prayed up, if you will. And Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in help in time of need. In verse 14, Paul wrote, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our first step to fullness this morning begins with a prayer to the Father. A prayer to the Father. Again, prayer I cannot, I could stay up here for hours and days and years and talking about prayer and we would never hit a capstone of its importance. Prayer is important. It's simply communicating with God. Any, any married uh, man or woman knows the importance of communication. Anybody that, that works in any kind of, anywhere really, any, any kind of social, we all as humans, we could really understand, we should understand the importance of communication. And that's simply what prayer is, communicating with God. It is a demonstration of our fellowship with God. Now, just like our fellowship with each other, just like our fellowship with each other is based on communication with each other. I can't go a day without talking to my wife. I need, I need, I need to hear her voice. And she, I think, I hope, she needs to hear mine. But just like our fellowship with each other is based on that communication, our fellowship with God is based on our prayers to God. We cannot go a week or, or a month or a year saying that we have a great relationship with God when we never talk to Him. If our prayer life is lacking quality and quantity, how can we expect anything more from our relationship with the Father? Paul wrote that he bowed the knee. He bowed the knee. I think Paul had a very close relationship with the Father. Now, he is not our greatest example, but he is a role model that we can follow. And I do want to say that God is certainly more concerned with the position of our heart in prayer more than he is our body. I think the more I look in, into this, it's, there comes a, a season in my life from time to time when I realize that maybe I need to bow my knee physically before the Lord. I'm not always there. And it's not always a reflection of my walk with the Lord, but sometimes there's a difference when we bow our, ourselves, our bodies, all of us, to the Lord. You know, a genuine prayer reflected in the bowing of our complete self. I mean, think about the physical bowing. We are bowing all that we are. Our outer man, our inner man, all of it. A genuine prayer reflected in that bowing the bowing of our complete self to God, I believe will help us to endure many of the situations that normally we struggle with. It doesn't get us out of, out of things. The Christian life is not about escaping troubles and trials, as we all can testify to, but it is about enduring those things and knowing that even the low ground with Christ, even the valleys are high grounds, because we have Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us. Prayer is important. 
And when we truly wretched, truly realize, this is something that gets to me every now and then, but when we truly realize, when it really starts to sink in in those moments when we're close to God, we realize our wretchedness in the light of his righteousness, we can't help but bow the knee. There's been times I've been completely flat on the floor. Now, that is not just an example. That's just where I needed to be because I couldn't see me being worthy for anything. I think Paul, again, had a great relationship with the Father. I think this is important to highlight. He knew that he was adopted. All the things he wrote about there in in chapter 1, he knew that he was adopted. He knew that he had free access. He he had an inheritance, an, an eternal inheritance that could never change. He knew that he had a free access to a nonviolent, loving Father. What's that in James says? He never chides us. He never, um, I don't remember the word that he used there, but we can go to the Father. He never says, I told you so. He just says, calm, I'll... I'll take care of you. I will love you. You know, if we can compare that relationship with an earthly father, Paul knew that he could come over any time to his father's house, to his dad's house. No matter where he was, no matter what he was doing in life, no matter how he was living his life, he could always come to the father. And then they would fix things if needed to be. He knew he could just barge right in at any time, wake him up with anything. He had that freedom. He taught that in the scriptures. He believed that. The Holy Spirit taught him to write these things. But instead of doing that, he bowed. He bowed. Now, we don't generally bow before our fathers today, our earthly fathers. I think there's some good reasons for that. But even though we have that access to the Father, I think it's good to approach with respect and adoration, bowing our hearts to the Lord. You know, Paul and every true believer can boldly walk upright into the very throne room of God with confidence and without bewailment because Jesus paid for that. But according to the eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have that boldness, Paul writes, for this cause I bow. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. Paul prayed. You know, there is no being filled with the fullness of God without prayer. It's never going to happen. And while prayer is just a beginning, there's no beginning without prayer. Prayer is important. And here in the text, we see specifically what Paul prays for. It is a rich prayer. What he prays for that results in and defines even what it means to be filled with the fullness of God. But remember, he prayed first. Let's not forget that. Verse 16, we see that he prayed that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. So first, Paul had a prayer to the Father, and then we see that he prayed for the power of the spirit there in Ephesians 3.16. I want to emphasize again, and I don't know if I can emphasize it enough, that none of these ingredients, we're only going to talk about a few here this morning, but none of them stand alone. We can't have the power of the Holy Spirit without prayer. And to pray for just other things and not for the power and the presence of other things, it just doesn't make sense. Like if we were to pray just that my car would always start every morning, and I've been through that ever sometimes in my life where months went by, Lord, I hope it starts again. You know, but... Also, looking back at my life, there was many of those times where that was probably the only thing I was praying for. There's no power in that kind of prayer. But if you pray 
for a relationship. We pray for the power of strength that we see here, the power of the Spirit that adds more, so much more to those little bitty prayers of, Lord, help my car start. Again, there's no power of the Spirit without a prayer to the Father. And as we read through this prayer, I think this will become more and more evident. But for us to understand what Paul is praying for, notice again that he says in verse 17 or 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, the inner man. I think for us to understand that we should probably know a little bit more about this inner man. Now, it's kind of unique. We've been talking about that a lot. Brother Bruce even talked about these things, and it's kind of unique that the Lord would bring us to this. In Romans chapter 7, Paul wrote about the struggles he had with, within as a Christian, between the outer man and the inner man. And in verse 22 of Romans 7, he said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. This inward man is therefore who we are in Christ. The inward man is who we are in Christ as the redeemed. Why? Because, again, if he delights in the law of the Lord after the inward man, that means he can't. There's no going after the Lord. There's no desire of the Lord without God in us. In our flesh, we have no desire to delight in the law of God. Psalm 14, 3 says, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. I love that passage it, in Psalms in chapter 14. It talks about the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And then the next few verses talks about, and God looked among the children of men and see if there was any that served him and sought after him. And he ended with this, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. So God became man, praise God, and our inner man. So for our inner man to seek after God, there must be an intervention by God. The inner man is our quickened spirit, our spirit which is made alive. That spirit, that part of us that bears witness with his spirit. And this new inner man in all of the New Testament is only referred to in Scripture as the inner man within believers. Within believers. The inner man, again, is our completely redeemed eternal spirit. It is the part of us that has been regenerated by grace through faith. Now, in contrast to the old inner man who is dead, the new inner man, the new inner man is a new creation. Life, eternal life. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Look back at uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 8. Very familiar passage. Paul wrote, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Those who believe in that, verse 10, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. To create means to make something out of nothing. God created a new spirit within those who believe in Him. Now go over to Ephesians chapter 4 and look at verse 21. Ephesians 4 Verse 21, the Bible says, But ye have not so learned Christ, in verse 20, in verse 21, it says, If so be that ye have heard Him, and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which is after God, which after God is created in righteousness. And notice, true holiness. We are created in Christ Jesus. 
It's a new being. That inner man is nothing you've ever had before, nothing that's ever existed before. When you trust Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of us, and He quickens who we are on the inside, our inner man, and that inner man lives forever. So the inner man, the inward man, and the new man are all who we are in Christ. And seeing that this is Paul's first usage of the word inner man, I think he's... I think a seed is sown here for a later comparison there in chapter 4, which we'll get into when we get there. But even in our context, Paul brings this outer man into subjection to the inner man. How does he do that? He bows the knee. His inner man has a desire to worship God, and he brings his outer man into subjection by bowing his knee to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship God Almighty, to pray to God the Father And in this context, it is in this context that Paul prays for the power of the Holy Spirit to be within each of us. To be within each and every Ephesian believer. And for us, of course, he prayed for spiritual strength. Now, I don't think for a moment as I, as I, as I labored over this text that it's a coincidence that while Paul prayed for those Ephesian Christians to receive inner strength, that he was demonstrated his inner strength over his outer man by kneeling. By kneeling. The inner man controlling the outer man. That's the greatest strength. The inner man controlling the outer man. That's no easy task. It's a task that we cannot accomplish without a quickened inner man. But let's be honest. Kneeling before God in the privacy of our home, in the presence of other believers is one thing. Bowing our lives before Christ in public is quite another. And this is the inner man's strength I think Paul is referring to. This is the might by his spirit according to the riches of his glory that you and I desperately need. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the record, I'd like to point out that the Holy Spirit of God, again, resides within every true believer. You have him if you are a believer. We are sealed and secured with the Holy Spirit of God. He will never leave. He is our earnest. He resides and partners with our new inner man. It's not him that needs the strength. It's us. We need the strength. Why, does not, why, why he doesn't need the strength is very clear there. It says he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's the God within us. It's the strengthening of, of our inner man that Paul prays for. Not the Holy Spirit. Again, He's more than able. He, he can do more than we can even think of or even ask. And Ephesians chapter 1 gives us a, a glimpse of the power available to us. So we're part, He's praying about strength here. He's praying about strength and the power of the Lord's might and His Spirit. In Ephesians 1, He says, The exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe. Let's go back there. I want you to see that. <clears throat> Look at, um, just look at verse 17. We'll just begin right there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Verse 16 talks about, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in prayer. So we have this prayer here again. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of His glory and His inheritance 
in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power? What kind of power? The power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now that's power. There is no greater power on this planet than the Lord Jesus Christ and the power to raise from the dead. Anybody ever seen that? <laughs> I've never seen that. Maybe there's some magic online or maybe you can see that somewhere where they tried to. I think I remember way back, maybe 20 years ago. Well, look, I made a, a fly come back to life in my hand. Nonsense. Only God has the power to raise life. And this power is in the Holy Spirit of God, which worketh in us. It works in us. So we as children of God have the same power available to us in the person of the Holy Spirit of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, I want to also point out that raising Christ from the dead is different than raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus died again. He went home. He, he, he departed. I kind of, in my mind, I think of Abraham's bosom. We see that in the, Old, or in the New Testament where Lazarus died. He would go down to where saints were at. And uh, he would stay there. Abraham was there. And he was only there for how long was he in the grave for? Anybody remember? Four days. He was in the grave for four days. But I think of, in my mind, I picture Abraham's bosom with Abraham sitting down there in his big old fancy chair down there waiting to be, uh, waiting to be taken up. And Lazarus comes down. He just died in the grave. He's wrapped up. He's swaddling all those things in those clothes. And he comes down into paradise. And he gets ready to sit down next to Abraham. He's like, don't sit down. You're going right back up. Don't even sit down. But Lazarus died again. Lazarus came back. Jesus went down there. He led captivity captive. We see that in Ephesians later on. He raised all those folks up through the grave, took them all back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And his resurrection is what our resurrection is compared to, not the resurrection of Lazarus, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I say all that to say this. The power to raise Lazarus from the dead is nothing compared to the power raising Jesus Christ. It is totally and completely different. He bore all our sins, both past, present and future, all of it. And all that was paid for. In a man and in the Son of God, and God raised him from the dead. That power we have. And the strength, I just want to point out again, that the strength that we should long for in our inner man is not the strength to perform miracles. That's not what we look for. If that's what we look for, matter of fact, if you want to see a group of Christians that long for those things, read 1 Corinthians and see how Paul deals with them. All they wanted was the miracles and the speaking in tongues and all those things. And he says, let's talk about the heart first. Let's talk about the love of God. So the strength that we long for should be a strength to live victoriously, to put our outer man in subjection to the inner man. Our inner man needs the strength to put him, to put the outer man in subjection. That should be our prayer. Yes, this power is only from the Holy Spirit of God. But I want to say this, just like our outer man needs, I thought about you, Billy, as I was putting this together. Just like our outer man needs a healthy diet and exercise for peak performance, <laughs> so does our inner man. Some folks, this is not about you, Brother Billy, but some folks are worried more about the junk we put in our physical bodies than the junk we put in our spiritual bodies. We feed the outer man all day long. We exercise the outer, outer man. We take care of the outer man. We want to live forever in our outer man, and we just neglect the inner man over and over and over. Some of us, I think, myself included, we get saved and we just fast the inner man as long as he can go, as long as he can survive somehow. But we are to be good stewards of both, no doubt. 
but our inner man needs nutrition. He needs the nutrition found in the Word of God. Our inner man needs the exercise found in Christian fellowship, the exercise found in corporate worship. Yes, again, the strength we need comes by the Holy Spirit, but that same Holy Spirit inspired the written Word of God. He gave us the tools to be strong. And He fills New Testament churches all around the world. That's where the Spirit is. I'm afraid many Christians haven't fed on the meat of God's Word in years. In years. And they're surprised when trials come their way, they faint or fail during those tribulations. It doesn't have to be that way. Again, Christian life is not always easy. A study of church history would show that. But the inner man is more powerful than anything on this earth because it's the spirit that bears witness with God Almighty. There is an untapped strength residing within us. Paul prayed to the Father that these Ephesians would be strengthened with the might of his power in the inner man. And it is my prayer for each of us this morning. It is my prayer for myself and my family. I mean, what's our memory verse? Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And before we go any further to our next point, I want to say that the secret to strength is not a stirred up heart. Although I think we should be stirred up for the things of God, but it's not a stirred up heart. It's a surrendered heart. It's a surrendered heart, a broken heart, a broken heart for the things of God. It is allowing God, it is allowing that spirit that bears witness with our inner man to do a work in and through us. It is yielding to God. Prayer is our source of strength. His spirit is our source of strength. His word is our source of strength. His church is our source of strength. The things of God are the sources that we need. But Paul's prayer, of course, didn't stop there. Yes, he prayed. He prayed to the Father. He prayed for the power of the Spirit. But this last point here this morning, I know we're getting kind of late here. But this is the passage. This is the part that drew me, that drew me to this. Look at verse 17 and on in chapter 3 again. Ephesians 3. He prays that God would grant you according to the riches of His glory that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. A prayer... For the presence of Christ. Now this is a most remarkable concept. Get this now. Who is Paul writing to? Lost people? Christians. Believers. Paul prayed for believers who were already in Christ that they would receive Christ. Or that Christ would dwell in their hearts rather. And while this, must, this message this morning's message is geared to those who have already accepted Christ. We as, as the redeemed, this verse can certainly be applied to those who are not in Christ. In other words, it is my prayer. More importantly, it is God's desire to dwell in your heart, for Christ to dwell in your heart as believers and as unbelievers. Christ is not just a recipe to escape the flames of hell. He is there to save us and so much more. So if you've not trusted Christ this morning... If you've not experienced a love that passes knowledge, that's incredible. It's not too late. It's not too late. 
Again, I've said this a couple, a couple of weeks ago. It's, it's important enough to go row by row and ask. But I'll take an amen this morning. <laughs> amen. It's not too late to receive eternal life. And as you have probably noticed in the text here, the fullness of God is not surprisingly involves the fullness of the Godhead. The fullness of the Godhead. You see the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are involved in our sanctification as much as they are our salvation. Again, no surprise because we are all in the same family. But I want you to think for, with me for a moment here. What could Paul mean when he prayed to the Father for Christians, believers who have the Holy Spirit? What did he mean when he prayed for them to have Christ dwell in their hearts by faith? They already have Christ. For starters, I think it's easy, easily a plea for them to have a deeper experience in Christ. I don't think we'd be wrong in that application. He desires that they be able to comprehend some things about Christ, namely who Christ is, a deeper relationship with Him, and even His love. In Philippians, Paul himself desired to know more about Christ. He said that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of. He wanted to grab onto the thought on why God grabbed all hold of him. He wanted to know Christ. And furthermore, being filled with all the fullness of God so that God can do a work in us and bring glory in this church by Christ is certainly an application on why Paul prayed for Christ to dwell in believers. None of these are wrong. All of these are good applications. But as I studied and pondered and prayed over this text, I began to focus on that one word, dwell. That Christ may dwell. I began to really look at that definition. And it literally means to house or to be a resident of. It is similar to, but not the same word, I think purposely, not the same word the Apostle John used when he wrote, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Not the same word. So the Holy Spirit here led Paul to mean something different. And then I noticed something else is also different in the text. There is a subtle change, but I think a significant one in perspective. In other words, I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the entire epistle, the entire letter here is filled with phrases like in Christ or in him. I think, I think some 30 times throughout the book. But for the first time in the text here, the perspective changes. Notice that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. Every other text up to this point talks about us being in Christ. This passage talks about Christ being in us. There's a difference in perspective. Now, both of these occur by grace through faith, but again, there's a difference in emphasis. Again, dwell means to dwell within, to be within, to reside. And Paul's prayer is that Christ dwells within us by faith. And since the Ephesian Christians were already in Christ, and we know from other passages that Christ is clearly all for our betterment. He always wants us to grow in Him and to be more confirmed unto His image. Beginning, of course, with salvation, this, this dwelling of Christ likely has to do with our faith in allowing Him to dwell. He's already there, but what kind of freedom does He have in our life? Can He freely inhabit the home of our hearts? 
Now, every Christian will assuredly say that Christ is completely welcome in our hearts. I've never met a Christian that would say otherwise. But it's not just our words that we should be used to invite the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us. All of us. And as I was, again, putting this together, I pictured myself. I pictured who I am, all of me, my thoughts, my life, my desires, my, my hates, my, the things I don't like, the things I do like, all of me, everything about me. I pictured me as kind of like my building, my residence, the place where Jesus would dwell, my home. And without being irreverent, I really don't want to do that, but I, I couldn't think of a better way to put this out there. But I pictured Jesus entering my residence. I live right behind here in this, in, this, in this house back here. Now, I picture that as, as me, if you will. You know, certain parts of my life. There's, there's, my, there's my church life. There's my family life. There's, there's what I watch on television. There's this, there's that. All those different rooms in my, in my house. It was a picture of who I was in Christ. And then I pictured Jesus entering my residence. And then I wondered where I would allow him to go. Would he be welcome in every corner of my life? Can he completely dwell? Would he be welcome in my office? Would he be welcome to sit on my couch and watch what I'm watching? Would I give him the passwords to my computer? I mean, really, how much of my life am I willing to let him see? I mean, he already sees all of it. We're not talking about his abilities. We're talking about our yielding to him. Would I try to hide things as he came in? You know, you got to guess. Shannon's coming over to my house. You know, maybe I didn't vacuum up. Woke up. I was like, I see a piece of trail. Let me get that out of the way. Am I doing that when the Lord comes in? Am I going to, you know, I got to, you know, some, some rooms and, and some places in your, in your home. Maybe that's the, that's the junk room or whatever. And when we were married, we had long, 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 long time ago, almost 30 some years ago, my wife just came in and I'm a whole lot cleaner person because of her and not just spiritually. <laughs> and I'm not talking about taking baths or anything. I'm talking about just being organized and stuff like that. I had this room and for some reason, I was 20 some years old. I had every envelope that was ever mailed to me just in a big pile in a box. And she's like, what is this for? I don't know. I might have to mail them back. The address is on there. And she reaches in. I don't know how she does, but she pulls the address out and it's one of those envelopes that have the clear there's no, there's no address on it. Why do you have this one? But anyway, what's that? <laughs> so you're thinking about that. And when Christ comes into our house, are we going to hold the, hey, come on in, Lord, have a seat. I'm, I'm just going to stand here behind this door. You can go anywhere you want. Just don't go in here. Don't go in here. I mean, how much of my life am I willing to let him see? Would I hide things? Would I pretend he couldn't perceive my thoughts? How much would he really dwell in my heart? And then I thought if I did open my life up completely to him, and here's the part that really, really drove home this point. Could he be at home in my house? Would he be at home in my, in my home? Again, without being irreverent, could he just come in and relax a little? Knowing that he's home? He's completely welcome everywhere? Could he let his guard down, if you will? Put his feet up and know that nothing's going to offend him? Or would he be embarrassed? You ever been to somebody's house, you're brand new, you've never met them, maybe a superior or whatever, maybe, and uh, you come in the house, you're the only one there, they're all sitting there, and you're very uncomfortable, so you just sit there. Okay, when is it time to leave? Maybe you go to a fellowship somewhere, and you just, you know you're out of place. Would God be out of place in our home? Would he just sit there uncomfortably by himself? 
desperately longing for the sweet fellowship that he knows is possible. By contrast, Paul wrote that we have boldness and access with confidence into our Father's house. Does Jesus have boldness and access with confidence into our house? Does Christ, does Christ dwell in your heart by faith? Listen, folks, we need all three of these. There is no fullness of God without the dwelling of Christ by faith in your heart. There is no fullness of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. And there is no fullness of God without genuine prayer to the Father. And if you don't have Christ this morning, the prayer that God desires most of you is a prayer for forgiveness and confession and the reception of His Son. And for us Christians, remember, Ephesians was written to believers just like you and just like me. So we can be filled. It's not a mysterious thing that we can't get a hold of. We can be filled with all the fullness of God. All of it. It's there for us to take. Amen. Let's pray.